This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. You're listening to The Assist with Trevor Hart. All right, welcome back. So we're going to uh, continue the 75th anniversary team. Uh, just my thoughts on them all. This is the second 25 of the 75. So next week we'll be rounding it out. And I may get to who I think the snubs are, or I may save that for next week. I don't know yet. So, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and jump into it. So start off the list is uh, someone we're not starting off on a good spot because I really do not know a single thing about Paul Azarin. So I decided to go on basketball reference, uh, 10 time all-star two time scoring champ, which is really good. I mean, I, yeah, two time scoring champ. That's really impressive. A uh, one time champion, four time all NBA and an all-star MVP along with an unofficial rookie of the year. I don't know how that works, but, uh, yeah, congratulations to Paul Arizon. I, I believe every time I say him, I say Azarin, but it's Arizon. There it is. So, congratulations to him. Obviously, everyone is deserving, so I'm not knocking them or anything. I just do not know that much about the era, but I know that there are plenty of people that do know, and he is well-deserving. Next up is Rick Barry. Now, if we're... Ranking these guys off of who they are as people. I don't know if Rick Barry makes it. Uh, Rick Barry is notoriously known for being just not a good person out in public or in general. But, man, he was a heck of a player for the Warriors back in the day. And then he was the first player to go from the NBA to the ABA, which was, like, never heard of. He decided to go from the Warriors to the Oakland Oaks, which that's that's a good name there. I mean, it's in it's in the city name, so yeah, sure. But um, the reason why he went there is that I don't even think they were offering that much more money. He was just he was gonna play for his uh, father-in-law, which I mean is cool and all, but I mean like I would really you don't want the NBA. Maybe they're offering more money, but I just know that. A main reason was that he was going to play for his father-in-law. But then there was like a whole lawsuit that happened. I don't even think he played for his father-in-law in the ABA. Uh, it's a whole thing. But Rick Barry, a very prolific scorer, especially back in that in the day, like in the 70s. Very good. A shot, shoots his free throws underhanded, which you know everyone will mock relentlessly. But it worked for him. And it's worked for the couple other people that have done it. So, Rick Barry, congratulations again. If you're basing it off their personalities, I don't know if he makes it. Next up is Larry Bird. The uh, Sorry about that. Uh, Indiana's essentially golden son. I am totally 1,000% biased because I'm from Indiana and, you know, Larry Bird is just king around here. I mean, no question. But um, the game is not what it is today without Larry and also Magic, who we'll get to later. But um, 
I said it a couple weeks ago when talking about the most important day in NBA history where Bird and Magic both had their debuts in one day. And that was when the NBA would turn towards the better there because NBA was about to go down, weren't making money, couldn't get a sponsor, a main sponsor really. Like even the National Guard wouldn't sponsor them. And then they're like, man, we have these two guys on the opposite coasts who are really good at basketball, and they also go up against each other quite a bit. How about we market these guys? And that's where it really started. It wasn't them like marketing like, oh, the NBA, the best basketball in the world. It's like, no, the NBA is the home to the greatest players on the planet. And Larry and Magic were a big part of getting that marketing campaign going. Now, when Michael Jordan came along, who also we'll get to later on, he just skyrocketed it. But for those two to come in at that time, right when there's a whole bunch of rules changing, just the 70s was a really bad decade for the NBA. And uh, they really came out and... The NBA has soared like a phoenix, and it hasn't stopped. So Larry Bird, 1,000% deserving. Just no question to me. Then we got Wilt Chamberlain, who uh, I talked about also a couple weeks ago because he died the same uh, date that Larry Bird and Magic Johnson uh, both made their debut. But... um. You just can't deny Wilt's greatness. Sure, he didn't probably didn't have the best competition ever, but still had Russell guarding him. Still had some really good defensive centers guarding him throughout all the time. And he still averages 50 points a game, scores 100 in a game. Just you cannot just Put Will Chamberlain to the side just because, oh, he played in the 60s, 50s and 60s. Yeah, well, in the 70s, too. So, yeah, there wasn't that much competition, whatever. Bill Russell's seen as a very good basketball player, one of the greatest ever. And no one cares about Will. I just cannot see it without it. And, man, he was just. When you hear about Will, like, it's almost like legendary stat. It's not even like it can't be true. Like, people talk about Wilt Chamberlain in basketball like baseball people do about Babe Ruth. Like, it's something that no one really saw or that you really want to have uh, firsthand witnesses to hear these stories. Like, hearing about the 100-point game, there's no footage of it. Well, I mean, if there is, it hasn't come out, and I would probably pay every single dollar in my bank account and get a bank loan and pay that to get that footage. But, man, it's literally just legend status to the point where it almost doesn't seem real. It's almost like, did they just put this guy into the like uh, records and all that just to have a benchmark, I guess, or just show, wow, he was really a player. But Will Chamberlain, unfortunately, uh, could not, uh, is not alive to see that he's on his team. But deep down, you know he knew he was going to be. 
because Wilt was he was arrogant, but for a totally reasonable, like there's just he had the right. Yeah, I scored a hundred points in the game. What did you do? So with uh, Will one hundred percent deserving, and hopefully he will not be forgotten or like just pushed off to the side for the rest of history. And we got Clyde the Glide Drexler, and man, I wish I could say I knew more about Clyde. You know, I know about him at Houston, where he literally jumped over a guy in the in the NCAA tournament to dunk it. But as soon as he gets to Portland, man, he, his whole career is just being overshadowed by Michael Jordan, and he's a prime example why he comes in. A year before Jordan does. Him and Jordan are almost teammates. If, you know, Portland decides to draft Jordan, but he comes in a year before Jordan. I think he had, like, pretty good production. I didn't, no one was calling him, like, the best guard in the game or anything like that. But then Jordan comes in. He plays to a pretty close to the same level as him. But everyone's like, oh, Jordan's literally the greatest ever. Clyde is like, all he does is just try to keep up with him. And then when they meet in the finals, that really hurt Clyde because Jordan, of course, he has that game with a ton of threes, doing the shrug, and just no one really has the respect for Clyde. And I really wish they did because... Man, he could fly. He could do about everything Jordan could do. It's just that Jordan was just better at it. And having the athleticism of those guys is incredible to me. And how... I mean, it's not like he's being disrespected at all in the culture because he's part of the dream team. So he was recognized at that point, hey, you're like the next guy up except not really because you're going to retire around the same time Jordan does, but you're the second guy and man, it just doesn't work out. And can I just say, so I know we're not through the list yet, but I mentioned last week that I said, I would be very surprised if all the dream teamers, except for Leitner were on it. Like I said, I would be very surprised if they weren't, how is Chris Mullen not in this 75th anniversary team? He's on the dream team. Look, I understand. Yeah, you want Leitner in there? No, I don't want Leitner in there. He was a college kid. And guess what? His pro career, not good. Chris Mullen was very good at that point in time. Part of the run TMC, I still need to get a shirt of that. I would love that as a shirt. But then just... I don't I don't get it. Because honestly, when you go through the dream team, these guys are the greatest ever. And just leaving one of them off didn't feel right to me. Who do you take off? I don't know. Like, I don't know. But I feel like Mullen should have been on there. It just seemed like simple science to me. And yeah, I know. 
That was international play, but all of them, those guys were NBA players. They didn't perform well in the NBA. They're not in the dream team. I don't know. But uh, that aside, Clyde, 100% deserving. Uh, he need, he really needs to stop being overlooked. Now we got Tim Duncan, the big fundamental. Just, uh, yeah, no arguments. Uh, there's no argument really for any of these guys, but this guy was, he's the best power forward. And I know that some people were like, well, what about Charles Barkley? What about Carl Malone? What about Kevin Garnett? Yeah, they're up there. But Tim Duncan was just on another level to the point where it didn't... Like, when you would watch him play, you'd be like, how is this guy like a top player? So he did. He just did everything right. He's like, he's not too flashy. He can jump, like, I don't know, maybe two inches off the ground, pretty much. He had, like, a couple, like, high-flying dunks. And you're like, whoa, he can jump like that? But then just even going to his older days of his career, still winning championships, still being very productive. Now he's in the Hall of Fame, which everyone knew he's going to be, like, a first ballot because it's Tim Duncan. But man, unbelievable how just good he was. Like you say Hakeem is good with his feet, yeah. But like Duncan knew where to put his feet and why to get a different advantage. Hakeem knew where to put his feet in to in to go quick enough to get by someone and to fake them out. Tim Duncan like knew I'm going to be right here. I'm going to be doing the same thing, and there's nothing you can do to stop me. Kind of like Dirk in his fadeaway shot. I'm going to do the same thing right here, and there's not going to be a thing you do to stop me. So Tim Duncan, yeah, really well deserved. And I saw people arguing where uh, the Spurs' big three should have made it with Duncan, Manu Ginobili, and Tony Parker. I don't know if that's really warranted. You know? Yeah, they were a good big three. They won five championships. But at some point, you're kind of like, if you're really thinking about it, does Tony Parker really deserve to be on this list over all these point guards? No. Does Manu Ginobili deserve to be on here over all these over all these shooting guards? No. And then you like look at James Harden. Miles Ginobili's not better than James Harden. And so with that, yeah, Tim Duncan, I mean, you cannot argue against it. Then we got Patrick Ewing. Um interesting career. Because all of his career, he was like the guy in and like this is the center until like Hakeem came in and everyone's like, because when Jordan was gone, people were thinking, Hey, the Knicks are going to do really good when they're gone because when the bulls are out, just because they've battled so many times. And then the Knicks made it to one of those finals, but not the other. So, and then it's like, Oh, and then they got like, I would essentially curb stomp by Akeem and the Rockets. 
It's like, huh? That's kind of weird for Patrick Ewing because I'm not saying anything to discredit Patrick Ewing. He is one of the best centers ever, obviously. I mean, we're talking about him on the 75th anniversary team. He brought New York to a place of euphoria that they hadn't seen since 73. And when the Knicks got Ewing in the first ever lottery, he was gracing the cover of Sports Illustrated before he was even drafted. This Everyone knew he was going to be good. I mean, you look back at his Georgetown days, he's pretty much unstoppable. Just going up against all those powerhouses like Carolina, that going through the Big East was tough enough. Then you got to face everyone outside. And with that, man, Ewing's really good. I really do think he is underrated when because... When, when you're in New York, I mean, everyone talks about Ewing. When you're outside of New York, kind of like, Ewing's good. But, I mean, come on, there's Akeem, there's Shaq. There's all these other guys. And I'm just like, got to put more respect on Ewing's name. Another dream teamer, even though he's uh, born in Jamaica, which I don't know if that matters well, I mean, Jamaica does have their own like national team and all that, but I don't know. He was on the dream team and well-deserved, honest, obviously. So, Patrick Ewing, congratulations. Uh, now the head coach at Georgetown, he has been for a few years now, but, man, he's doing really good with that program. Speaking of 73, uh, Walt Frazier is next on the list. Clyde... Uh, Here's, here's the only thing I know Clyde for. Being the flashiest dresser to ever be in the NBA. You think Russell Westbrook is flashy? Look at Walt and like just his pictures and like GQ and all that back in the day. You're like, wow. I didn't know there was that much fur on the face of the earth. And it's just, <laughs> it's on his coat. And he's got like the weird hats going on. But really all I know Walt for is uh, popularizing Puma. The Clyde. This is what they're named after. With that, I mean, he was a very good point guard. And, I mean, he started out in Cleveland or maybe ended in Cleveland. He was in Cleveland at some point. Wasn't that great? But, man, when he was in New York, he was Clyde. I mean, the guy in Cleveland was not Clyde. The guy in New York, that is Walt Clyde Frazier. And, man, he was just really good. But I don't think he really needed Earl Monroe in that backcourt with him for them to succeed very well. And, man, if that is not the best backcourt ever, I mean, yeah, like Westbrook Harden, I'm I'm kind of leaning that way. Could you imagine Walt and Earl the Pearl? Man, that, that had to have been... That's worth the price of admission right there. Just those two. Then we got Kevin Garnett, who... 
I always want to say he's the best power forward, but I know it's Tim Duncan. I know it is. And even like, and I even try to be like, well, Carnett's the best defensive power forward ever. And it's like, no, Tim Duncan's really good defensively too. I love Kevin Garnett for his energy. Just anything is possible. When he screamed that after the finals, really makes you believe it. And I mean, that's what he was trying to do, but yeah, anything is possible. And just how he led this. Well, he started out being one of the really first people to jump from high school to the NBA, like since the seventies. And he was taken with the fifth pick and everyone's like, I don't know about this guy, man. So I would have taken a way later. But then he just, he does so well. He takes a team where, I'm going to see if I can try to remember the lineup. It was Sam Cassell, Trenton Hassel. Was Wally Zerbiak there? Garnett and the center, I can't remember the center. Yeah, I mean, obviously it wasn't that great because I can't remember him. He took that team to the Western Conference Finals. Like literally just put them on his back. And carried them all the way to the conference finals. They lost. So then Garnett's like, man, I, I don't know about this anymore. And then words word comes out in Boston. Uh, there might be a big three coming along. And then the big ticket, he's named it for a reason. I mean, he had one of the largest contracts ever. Like, he broke the salary cap one year because of... I think that's what the 99 lockout was about. It was because Kevin Garnett literally just broke money, essentially. Like, the NBA was like, I don't know. I mean, I guess we have this money. And everyone's like, this is not good. We got to restructure this. Because he was signed for like a six-year contract or something like that, which is ridiculous. Then he gets traded to Boston for, like, I don't know, the house, essentially. It's traded up pretty close to everyone. But that big three in Boston, man, when they were there, they were a little on the older side, but, man, they still did good. And I don't know why I kind of gravitated towards those Celtic teams back in the day. Maybe it was influenced on my dad. I don't remember it though because when it was like Celtics versus Lakers I just wanted the Celtics to win I think it was more because my favorite color was green back then which I mean good enough I mean I you could fill out a bracket like that but um yeah I don't know and those teams will always uh be special to me because I remember there was one one night, and this was on like a th- it was like a, it was during a school night. Um, every now and then, my dad and I we'd play one v one out in our uh, driveway, and uh, it was like pretty split. Once I like started playing uh, like basketball in like middle school and all that, like except this wasn't middle school, but once I started playing like youth league, I I was getting pretty good. 
and it was very competitive. And there was a one point where we there was one night it was it was on a school night. Uh, I think my mom she was working nights at that point, so she wasn't there to tell us to stop. But we played a whole seven game series, and I was the Celtics, he was the Lakers, and I ended up winning. And yeah, we didn't go to bed till like midnight. And so, yeah, if, if my mom was there, she would have been like, "We, well, you guys, you guys need to stop because it's a school night." Man, that was a. I love that, and I love that team so much. And uh, man, that's I've I haven't thought about that in a long time. But uh, yeah, those Celtics teams were the reason why. And and Garnett ended up going to, after the championship, kind of didn't really do so good. Got traded to Brooklyn. Where You remember when that whole Brooklyn team, like, I remember with my friends, we thought it was going to be like a dynasty when they traded for Darren Williams. Joe, I think they signed Joe Johnson. Then they traded for Garnett and um, Paul Pierce, and they already had Brooke Lopez. I remember all my friends. I were like, "What is? This team's gonna be really good." Are you kidding me? They uh, were not. <laughs> they were actually uh, pretty terrible because they were all like thirty-five. But then uh, he had to finish his career in Minnesota. It was a nice touch and all that. But uh, Garnett is up there. He's one of the most enigmatic people to be in the sport. And I love hearing him talk about his playing days. If you haven't seen that, go uh, check those out. Then we got John Havlicek, just a very, very good player. Just He was on those those Celtics teams in the 60s where he was like the up-and-comer. He, uh, Havlicek stole the ball where he secured a championship for them. And then he he, like, he did really good in the 70s. Like, those Celtics teams in the 70s, I mean, they weren't great. I mean, they, they got, like, one championship, like, late in the 70s. But, man, they were he was just good in the 70s. He went from a six-man to pretty much one of the faces of the league. And... Yeah, Havlicek is just overall solid. People really need to look him up more. Next up is Allen Iverson, where uh, Allen Iverson, it's always a tough spot for me because I remember like being told that like Allen Iverson, uh, like all people would think about it was just the tattoos and the cornrows and no one really gave him the respect he deserves. And even for a while myself, I wouldn't give him that much of respect. But when you go and look through the 2001 finals and how the Lakers were getting ready to sweep throughout the whole Playoffs, a feat that has, I don't think it's ever happened, or if it had, it was way back in the day. And Alan Iverson said, no, 
not letting it happen. And he goes off for like 50 or something like that. Steps over Tyron Lue after hitting that crazy fadeaway shot. But then, like, there's footage of him in the locker room saying, like, we're not done. I mean, they were done, but they weren't. He's saying, we're, I'm not done. And, man, he was just overall good in Philadelphia. Uh, when he had a weird thing going on where he didn't like Larry Brown. And, uh, but then they like patched it up and that's when they went to the finals. But, um, the whole, I think the thing that throws people off this Iverson is just the whole thing with Larry Brown and the whole, uh, practice, uh, rant pretty much like, uh, talking about, we're talking about a game. You want, I'm getting ready for a game. You guys want to talk about practice and how, and then he goes to Detroit and then to Denver. Then he ends up in Memphis and everyone's like, what happened? It's just that after Philadelphia, he just didn't perform as well as he should have. And I feel like that's what kind of, makes people veer away from him. But Allen Iverson, super underrated as a point guard. And he's listed as 6'3". I mean, he's definitely like 5'11". I mean, it's kind of like Carson Edwards from Purdue. People say he's like 6'2". It's like, no, if you really look at him, he's he's not even six foot. But for him to do that, and the, teams that, the team that he brought to the finals... It's kind of like the Kevin Garnett thing, except they made it to the finals and they won a game. So next up is the other half of the saviors of the NBA, and that's Magic Johnson. I say Garnett's one of the most enigmatic people to ever play. Magic is the most enigmatic person ever. Just, as they said, a smile that would light up your screen. Just one of the... Him and Larry were some of the top players to have just the most unbelievable basketball IQ. Like, some of the passes they'd pull off are not... They're not even funny. They're just shock and awe-inspiring. And just magic with Showtime being in L.A. It just worked. It just worked out. And, man, look, if you just look at Magic Johnson passing highlights, you'll be sitting there for, like, three hours just seeing the most crazy passes ever, like where he dives for the ball, almost gets taken away from him, but he rips it out of the guy's hands and then just, he's while he's sitting on the ground, bounces it to Kurt Rambis. Or, like, where he kind of, like, puts the ball, like, holds it behind his back and then just zoom, whips it with, like, pretty much as if the ball's in a holster, like he like a nice pocket pass. Just whip it. And, of course, the ones where he throw, he just throws, like, a baseball. Like, he's he throws, like, he's uh, a third baseman and he, the runner's, like, 
<laughs> five steps away from the first from first base. So he has to whip it across the <laughs> diamond. And man, magic. Oh man. I could literally talk for hours about magic. Unbelievable player. Uh, unfortunately, with HIV and all that, he kind of it shortened his career. And then I'm I'm really glad he's doing well now because in that point in time, like people didn't know if Magic was gonna make it, you know. And it's just I don't even think people thought he was gonna make it to the seventy to the fiftieth anniversary, let alone the seventy fifth. And I'm and then after being told he has HIV, going to the Olympics with the Dream Team and just bawling out is unbelievable. Next up is Sam Jones. Um, I don't have a lot on Sam Jones. I know that he was one of like the first to develop like a jump shot that we would see today instead of just like either going owner hand or like tossing the ball up with both hands. He had a really solid jump shot that was revolutionary. Uh, man, I wish I had more on Sam Jones, but 100% deserving. I think he was part of like the first, Af- first African-American starting five on the Celtics. And... They, I mean, those Celtic teams were really good, and all those players were very good. So if a player from those teams is on there, you know they're good. Next up, the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan. Yeah, I don't think he deserves on this to be on this list. Yeah, you know, the whole gambling thing, you know, and all that. I'm totally kidding. So, um, yeah, what do you want me to say about Michael Jordan? Started out at 84, just shining bright. He's a very good scorer, but then he decided to go past being a good scorer. He's like, I want to win. Then when he wants to win, he gets stopped by the Pistons, the bad boys. He goes, okay, I need to get stronger so I can win. Does that. Goes on a three-peat, including beating Magic and the Lakers. Then he goes, yeah, you know what? I'm going to quit. You want to play baseball? I was like, what? And he's like, you know what? Baseball isn't for me. I'm going to come back. And I was like, hold up now. And like literally the, all he did was just send a fax. just says, I'm back, which that's like the greatest <laughs> return you could ever have. And, um, he was like, yeah, I'm back. Yeah, let's do it. And then they lose that year when he comes back, but it was like half a season, you know. We're in number 45, just wasn't 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 about it. And he's like, okay, unretire my number. Gonna come back 23. We're gonna do this again. Another three Pete. You're like, what? Again? And he does this all while like trying to handle Dan- Dennis Rodman because he was like tough to handle at that point. 
And he's like, whoa, Dennis is behaving. Then just, okay, I'm done. I'm really done. Could go to the Knicks. No, I'm done. Then he's like, I'm going to uh, become an owner. and G- I'm going to be a GM for the Wizards. Oh, cool, cool. Jordan in front office, where will that go? I'm going to play. What? Yeah, yeah, I, w- I want to play for the Wizards. Why? I don't know. Why not? Okay. <laughs> the, I, mean, I guess because being a GM didn't work out for him, which it hasn't really. It's not that great of a GM. But, yeah, Michael Jordan, greatest of all time, no question about it. Just so graceful through the air. Unbelievable athleticism. Pure, just not the ability to score, just wanting the score. Took him over the top. Then we got Carl Malone, who, again, if you're going off of the players a person, he 1,000% does not make it. If you don't know, look it up. Uh, I'm just warning you, it's pretty gross. But, uh, yeah, he's on there. He's, what, second in scoring? Yeah, he should be, like, second in scoring. Like I said before, the Stockton Malone pick and roll, unbelievable. And then he's, like, up there in assists, too, which is kind of crazy. Had a really smooth, sweet jump shot right from the mid-range. Yeah, so Carmelo makes it. Congratulations. Then we got Robert Parrish, who, when I see this, it kind of surprises me. Because Robert Parrish, when he started out in Golden State, was not that good. Just being, I'm just going to keep it honest with you guys. Not that great. Then he goes to Boston where, you know, he teams up with Larry. Kevin McHale was part of the trade over when he was a draft pick. And then you got Dennis Johnson, who Dennis Johnson should have been on this list. Sure, there's a lot of really good point guards on here, but man, DJ was <laughs> DJ was so good. Yeah, but I mean, he played for a long time, like close to or maybe close to or right at 20 years. Because after Boston, he went to New Orleans and then to the uh, Bulls. And he was good. He was really good. Who would, ah, it's tough. Because some people were saying that Parrish, if you're going to like substitute him for an art center, you'd probably put in Dwight Howard. Man, Dwight Howard is so good, but just the past few years are really hurting his resume. But, um, yeah, I don't know how to feel about this one. He's a he's a top player for sure, but top seventy five, I do kind of question that. But Robert Parrish was really good, and I don't think those Celtics teams in the eighties are what they are without him because he had to guard Kareem, and did a really decent job at it. 
So then we got uh, Chris Paul, who, uh, again, I don't like him on the court. Just his attitude towards everything is just so, like, pompous. But, man, he's so good. Like, he has every right to be that way. He just... But he he just recently became one of the like the first player to reach, uh, like ten thousand assists, so no, and over twenty thousand points, and just an insane number. He's probably he's the greatest true point guard ever, because like Matt Johnson, he's the best point guard ever. But like, if you're going like true point guard based off size and just their style of play. Chris Paul's number one. And imagine if he would have went to the Lakers instead of the Clippers, because that was going to happen. But the NBA vetoed that trade. Could you imagine him and Kobe? Man. That would have been really good. And then, you know, this last year, with he helps the Suns go to the finals. It's the one thing that was holding Chris Paul back was that he hadn't made it past the conference finals. And for a long time, he didn't make it to the conference finals. But then when he goes to Houston, they make it. And then they're like, he just can't get past it, can you? And then he goes to the finals. And the Suns were looking really good in the first couple games. And that really, that really helped his resume. So... Chris Paul, 1,000% deserving. Then we got Scottie Pippen on there. I mean, he's a dream teamer. That's that's my argument for him. He was very good. Really good. Is he what he is without Jordan? I don't know. But I would almost argue, yeah, because when Jordan was gone for that year and a half, Scottie was the man. And he was doing really good. And that Bulls team made the playoffs. But, yeah, Scottie Pippen, dream teamer. Uh, needs to be looked at as more than a sidekick. Because, sure, I mean, he was, he was the fiddle to Jordan and all that. But um, still very good. And then when he goes to Portland and Houston, he does just as good. So, yeah, Scottie Pippen, congratulations. Uh, and then there's Bill Sharman, who I uh, I don't know about all too well. I only remember him as a coach. So I, uh, again, went to basketball reference. Eight-time All-Star, four-time champ, seven-time All-NBA, and a All-Star MVP, all playing for the Celtics and the also the Washington Capitals when they had green jerseys. Okay. Yeah, but uh, he also averaged 17 points per game, uh, 42% field goal percentage. Pretty good. Again, I'm I'm not old enough to know that much about him. I know there are people that – no, I mean, they are voted on. I mean, so the voters obviously knew. And it's not even like they kept the 50 from the 50th anniversary. They had to get voted back on. 
So congratulations to Bill Sharman. Then we got Isaiah Thomas, where I'm not the biggest fan of him because he went to IU. Man, he was good. I mean, I know everyone knows he's good. I just don't really like admitting it. Those bad boys teams were all him. He was 1,000% behind it. But uh, the one main story I like, I always love hearing about is like Isaiah, I think it's either a twist or it's like a fracture of his ankle. Like his ankle is like the size of like his thigh, essentially, against the Lakers in the finals. And he still plays on it. And it's a great story. You know, overall, Isaiah was very, very good. I hate to admit it, but I know he's very good. So uh, he's 1,000% deserving. Then we got Nate Thurmond, who I uh, don't know that much on, but uh, I know he went to Bowling Green. Very good center for an undersized guy. Very good in the early days of, of the NBA, around the 60s. And uh, very good. So congratulations to Nate Thurman. So we got Wes Unseld, who I talked about last week when talking about Elvin Hayes. Him and Elvin Hayes were a unbelievable front court duo back in the day for the Bullets. And... I just don't know what else to say on him. He did very, very, very good. Won a championship. He was a top rebounder in the league. top And one of the top scorers, too, if it weren't for being next to Elvin Hayes quite a bit. You know, man, they're, he's just good. I don't know what else to say. Is, is he a top center? I would 1,000% say he is. Then we got Bill Walton. Okay. I want to say this um, very carefully because I know what he means to the city of Portland and pretty much the state of Oregon. I don't agree with this. Look, I get it. Bill Walton was an MVP at one point in the 70s and absolutely dominated in the finals to beat the 76ers for the Trailblazers. But the injuries, man. I I know that like injuries don't mean everything, but Bill Walton was way way below average when he was when he was dealing with the injuries when he was with the Clippers. Here's I, here's what I think saves him though, other than being the cultural icon that he is in Portland. His revital in Boston is unbelievable. And I truly mean that. For a guy who was just almost out of the league to having Red R back and go, yeah, you can play. I feel like you can. And even when the team doctor's like, this guy is just broken. There isn't nothing that works with this guy. He is a hazard around this team. And Auerbach goes, ah, shut up. 
And he looks at Walton and he goes, come on, Bill, you can play, right? And Bill Walton's description of it, if you haven't seen, I guarantee there's a clip on, on of it on YouTube. Just Bill Walton talking about Bill, uh, Red Auerbach talking to Bill Walton on the operating table, essentially, during the physical. It's like saying, it really shows who Bill Walton is as a person. <laughs> Just, um, you can tell that this is a guy that wears tie-dye when he does broadcasting. Just he says that, and I see green smoke come out of his mouth from the cigar, and I see the leprechaun and the forge and the four-leaf clover, and I'm like, uh, okay, all right, kind of weird, which I knew it already, but man, that really reinforced that. Yeah, so Bill Walton, I, I go back and forth on because. What he means to Portland is unbelievable. That 77 team was really good. And it's all because of Bill Walton. And um, just the revitalization in Boston, I think that's what helps him a lot too. So I go back and forth on it, but Bill Walton is, he's up there. I will give him, if you base it just from Portland, it's up there. Then we got Jerry West, who, uh, I mean, what do you want me to say? He's a logo. One of just, if he could have got more championships, all he, because all he did was just run into the Celtics all the time. And they talked about it where it's like, it just, it just gets, it's almost like stupid at one point. You're just going up until June all the time, just get, just to lose and then just restart. And how him and Elgin never got a championship going. They don't. It took Wilt Chamberlain to come in for them to start winning. But yeah, Jerry West just all timer. Obviously, it's a logo. Uh, unbelievably good. Just uh, yeah, Jerry West. I mean. What else can you say other than just he is the logo? And I know that we've been people there have been talks saying like, oh, we should change the logo and all that. Um we were saying it should be Kobe. Uh, I remember way back in the day, this is when I was like twelve, and I think the conversation came up on NBA TV or something like that. And I was talking to my dad about it and I said, um, well, he was saying, like, it would be really cool if the Jordan logo was that. But, I mean, obviously think now, like, you can't do that unless you have an exclusive deal with Jordan brand. But I was like, what about a Kareem? Just the Skyhook. And uh, I don't know. We, I don't know if we should ever change the logo because, I mean, just – Looking at it, I mean, you know it's the NBA. You may not know it's Jerry West. It, it almost just looks like just a regular person. But since Jerry's name is a logo and everyone knows that it's him, we were like, oh, yeah, it's Jerry West. But when you look at it, it's almost like it just looks like a dude. Like, I don't know who it is. So Jerry West, 1,000% deserving. And now we'll go to the final person, James Worthy. Big game, James. 
North Carolina. Yes. I mean, come on. Now, there are some people, other small forwards, that would, I don't know, there's other small forwards on the list I would probably take off before James. But, like, when I think Bernard King and Alex English, and as I said earlier, Chris Mullen, I think they deserve to be on the list. But... James was just unbelievable. Just how how he ran the floor for those Showtime teams. It was pretty much just like, if there's a fast break, it's Magic throwing it to either Michael Cooper, Byron Scott, or James Worthy. And a lot of times it was James. Big game James, the rec specs. And um, there was a lot of weird eyewear on that team. Like him... <laughs> Worthy and Kareem like both had like the rec specs. Kurt Rambis just looked like he had like reading glasses on out there. And just I don't know. <laughs> it was very it, I guess that's just the way they were. But um Yeah, those guys were very very good. And um just that whole showtime you, like Kareem was on already. Then you got Magic and James. It makes complete sense to me because that was that was a tandem that really brought up basketball in the culture. Like everyone was like, "Oh yeah, Showtime, let's go!" And like that's when like Jack Nicholson started going to games, and they had like the club at the Forum. So like you would go to the game, and afterwards the Forum would turn into a nightclub. Because of all the stars there. And, um, yeah, I think uh, James totally deserves it. So that'll be it for uh, this week's episode. I want to thank you for listening so much. Um, so next week will be the final 25, or I guess 26, because they had one that was a tie. So we will finish out the 75th anniversary team next week. Uh, be sure to follow me on Twitter at DEverhard00, and we will talk to you next week. Peace. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.